1: Dave, Mike, and Tori
0: hello, internet
1: uh Dave, did you introduce yourself last week by saying Craig?
2: <laughs> Maybe,
1: so you're just introducing Great yourself though. as everybody in turn except for yourself.
2: now, Mike is the new hello. Haven't you heard all, all uh, the cool kids are saying it this week. it was like you were like, Dave, and I was like, Mike, it's true. It well, was I very thought
3: last week you said Craig. He did say someone's name. I don't know if it was mine. no. It might have been yours again. My gag. <laughs> There you go. All right. Dave is doing a bit
1: this week, which makes up for Craig not doing a bit that one time in the past. It's true. Someone's got to make up for that. Great. All right. Uh, let's start with good thing. Just just
3: to change things up. And <laughs> Craig, what's your good thing? Well, just to change things up, I'm actually going to do a repeat this week. Um, But is I just terraria? started rereading it again. What's up? Is it Terraria? No, uh, although that is a good thing. Um, this week, I want to give another shout out to the book Sufficiently Advanced Magic by Andrew Rowe. So, um, I haven't been in an issue. I mean, as you guys know, uh, I'm a Brandon Sanderson fan. He is my favorite author. Um, and sort of the downside. Chua. What's that? Chua. The downside of that, though, is that it's sort of hard to get into other books because I sort of have a certain level, like an expectation of the quality. And a lot of authors don't necessarily live up to that to me anymore. So I was actually rereading a few of my books um, and most of them sort of like these don't hold up as much like they're not. I, when I first read them, I'm like, this is really good. This was enjoyable. But I reread them. And although it's fine, like it's it's a fun read, but it doesn't describe me the same way. However, sufficiently advanced magic does hold up. Um, it has another in-depth magic system. So they they really go into the, the science of the way the magic uh, works in this world. It's pretty neat. I don't want to go into it too much, um, but I highly recommend it. For those of you who are interested, check them out. If you're into, I mean, if you're into Sanderson, if you're into fantasy books, definitely check it out. It has a, it has like a, what do I want to call it? The the main, the main concept of this uh, world that they live in is that they, they do these dungeon crawls. I'll call them a dungeon crawl. They're actually climbing a tower with randomly generated rooms that have different challenges that you have to get through to make it through the rooms. Like, that's that's the core concept. That's what kids are thrown into to see if they can do magic, essentially. Um, and get your magic marks so you can you can increase your power level and all this other fun stuff. So it has a, an a interesting premise, I will say, but like I said, it goes very much into the magic, which I appreciate. That's not a requirement for me to like it. I know Sanderson has this very scientific approach to magic. This book just happens to have it as well. Um, but quite good. Highly recommended. Yeah. Neat. Uh, Dave, what's your good thing? Dave, do
1: you exist?
0: Dave appears to be muted.
1: Hello, Dave. All right. Dave doesn't have a good thing this week. Uh, so my good thing this week is a series of uh, film analysis style videos on the show House. Uh, they're done by Jesse Tribble. Uh, It's a six-part series, every video is in the 30, 45, 60-minute range, Uh, and it basically breaks down the entire series, and the ultimate sort of thesis of it is that the season six opener, Broken, where House um, checks himself into a mental health facility, uh, should have been the series finale. And... He makes excellent points. I really enjoyed them. It's it's a really good video series if you enjoy film analysis style stuff, which I really, really do. That was a lot of thunder. Um, all right. So, Tori, what's your good thing this week?
0: Afternoon naps. I really like afternoon naps. Uh, yes. I, so... Sad times. I know I I mentioned on the Discord, but I don't think I mentioned on the podcast uh, that in June I lost my elderly cat, Spooky, uh, just to old age. Um, and he was my napping buddy, and and so since June I have I have been Son's napping buddy because the other pets are not in the habit of doing that. But um, recently, uh, my cat Shade. And my dog, Spirit, have been taking turns being my napping buddy. So I think, you know, given a little more practice, um, eventually I will have a a permanent napping buddy. And uh, But yes, three-day weekend, afternoon naps, they're the bomb.
3: I also have a napping buddy. I'm going to post a picture of it in our Discord.
0: Do it.
1: I enjoy naps, but I can't take them currently because I'm trying to fix my sleep schedule. If I take a nap, it'll just wreck everything. And I'll stay up too late again.
0: Sad times.
1: And none of our cats are like good sleeping snugglers. They none of them do that. Uh so Dave, have you fixed stuff?
2: Can you talk now? What's up? What's your good thing, Dave? Hi, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast.
0: No, we're past that part.
2: Uh thought we were starting over. Uh my good thing this week is. I'm going to put it out there and say I am enjoying the Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles remaster. It has really bad reviews, but I think that the actual core gameplay, if you get together with a bunch of friends, is a lot of fun. Um, There are some issues with, like, the menus are kind of clunky, and you have to remake lobbies every time you run a new dungeon, which is really poopy. And I think that Square's planning to fix certain things, like being able to skip cutscenes in multiplayer at least, so they at least care to make it slightly better. Uh, but another complaint that I've heard was that, oh, it's you don't get to do the story mode together with your friends. And I'm like, well, like, that's cool, because, you know, we're not really in the days where we all sit in a living room with four people and play video games for four hours together anyway. So you can do the story on your own time. If someone's behind, friends can get together and help them catch up and stuff. So I've been having a lot of fun with it with my group of friends. Uh, but if if you really enjoyed the original Crystal Chronicles aspect of going through the story with somebody else, then maybe you wouldn't enjoy it. But if you just, like, get together, crawl through dungeons, grind some power-ups and stuff, then I think it's still a lot of fun. and. I've been waiting, what, 20 years or so to play this game multiplayer. So, yeah, it's definitely more fun. The remaster is definitely more fun than playing by myself was when the game first came out. And I could only get Craig to play once.
0: So when that game first came out, Mike was one of my four people who played it with me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I remember you talking about that before. It's on my to-get list. I just, I have too many games to play. To-get list. Yeah,
3: I sort of wish to had a local multiplayer. I think you mentioned that people can play the mobile app for free and connect to your game, but I don't know because so my wife and I want to play together. Don't sure. you have two Switches? I thought I thought you did. So that means we have crossing. to be, buy the game twice,
1: though. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Thirty bucks for one copy. Still, so you're well,
2: you're buying one AAA game. No, no. Actually, the mobile version is only twenty five. But also. There's a trial version I think on every platform, even on the Switch and PS4. So, you could just have buy one copy and have that be the host copy. All right. So, Dave, you read a short story today, right? Uh yeah, yeah. this week we are going to talk about chapter 1 through 1 of The 11th Metal by Wizards of the Coast. All right. Wait. What? No. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Not because of, of the, the story, Coast. I mean, but... I guess
2: it was included. Yeah. Yeah. It's by Wizards of the Coast. From Wizards of the Coast, best selling author of MTG related online articles, Brandon Sanderson. Yeah,
1: That's sure, true. He did write
2: an <laughs> MTG short story. I don't he read really that. Know. Uh, so yeah, the eleventh medal is written as a little intro cutscene to a tabletop RPG. I don't actually know if it was produced by Wizards of the Coast, but I I do know that Wizards of the Coast has hired Brandon Sanderson, so why not? All right, the eleventh medal. So we've got Kelsier and Gemmel. Kelsier has no skills of an artist. Kelsier is learning to smile. Keep Schesler. Gemel is barely, if at all, sane. Kelsier is still racist against nobles. Wait, or, question. Uh, already, not still. Zane or Zane? Kelsier, you switched off your targeting computer. <laughs> What's wrong? Gemol sounds pretty spiked. Talking to Ruin? mists are scared of him? Yeah, he's spiked. Kelsier is good at taking control. Random multicolored statues? What is this, Hallandren? In Debasement. Metallurgist Forge. Snap Factory. Lord Chesler is a mistborn glass jowl anyone can die Kelsier whispered Kelsier finds notes about the eleventh medal Kelsier learns that looks aren't everything Kelsier searches for a tailor to make him a mist cloak so that he can look like a mistborn and there you have it so this is uh... A training scene between Kelsier and Gamel, whom I believe Kelsier has mentioned in the Final Empire trilogy. Well, probably the Final Empire, because that's the one where Kelsier was alive. Uh, he did
1: think about him. I don't know that he ever told anybody else Gemmel's name. Uh, but when he threw Vin off the city wall, uh, he mentioned his own training
3: on that front. Um, Gemmel's name is mentioned in the first book. I don't recall where, but his name was mentioned before. I'm pretty sure Kelsier thinks it. I don't know that he actually tells anybody. True.
1: Was what uh,
2: I should said. say
3: we've read the name before. Were, were the words that I said,
2: yes. Yes. So there you have it. The, the idea of this book, if you read the afterword, is to give some new content to Mistborn fans while giving some non-spoilery content to newcomers of the franchise because he knows that, you know, in a in a tabletop RPG, you're going to have people from the entire spectrum of fans and hangers-on and just chilling out, you know? People of all different levels of fandom will be playing this game. If you've never tried to get
1: your gaming group to play something based on, like, a secondary uh, thing such as this, uh, the way it works is there's one person in the group who actually cares about the source material and has read it, and then that person convinces the rest of them to play the game or to at least try it once. Uh, but none of them will read the source material no matter how much that person
2: begs. So you get a short story. I've experienced that if Eberron counts. because That's a campaign setting in Dungeons and & Dragons and we had a, a player, maybe two players or a DM kind of took turns that really like knew all of the lore behind all of the cities and everything of the eberron campaign setting and i was just like i'm a roll cleric smash you with my mace <laughs> and they were like no you don't understand the world or something so yeah not a separate source material but a specific campaign setting no be cleric do be robot man
0: I'm with Dave here because in the D&D game that I'm in right now, I'm playing a druid and my favorite spell is Shillelagh, uh, which lets you um, use your wisdom stat instead of strength to hit things with a stick. And so every combat encounter is like, well, what are you going to do, Tori, with your magical druid that can do magic and spells and things? It's like, I'm going to hit it with my stick. That's it.
2: You get a little buddy to ride when it gets bigger.
0: Uh, I don't know that you do as a druid in 5th edition.
1: Uh, you can turn into your own little buddy
0: and it's true, I ride can.
2: yourself, I guess, if that counts. You can turn into a centaur.
0: I don't think I'm a high enough level for that.
2: So they're like the WoW druids, but not the WoW hunters. So, yeah, any questions about this little story? We got a little training. And... Like a whole summary, maybe? <laughs> yeah. The, the story is a summary of one of Kelsier's training days when. His mentor, Gemmel basically just invades this keep so that Kelsier can fight another Mistborn.
3: Why don't you tell us more, Dave?
2: So there's this metallurgy lab where they're researching the 11th metal. And they have all of these uh, all of these Ska that have some noble connections. And it's a snap factory. They just hang them on the wall and torture them and see if any of them become Allomancers. And then Lord Chesler shows up. And he's he's a Mistborn, but he's more of a scholar than a fighter. And Kelsier defeats him permanently. And now he wants a Mistcloak. So I do like how we kind of get a glimpse onto how Kelsier used to work before he was a Mistborn. He was more of a he was a social rogue. He would go in, disguise himself as a nobleman, infiltrate balls, get information, and all that. And he tries to revert to that, and he's like, ah, I can use my emotional allomancy. And Gemmel's like, no, you're a Mistborn. You don't go and talk, you kill people. And of course, Gemmel being under the influence of Zane is, uh, this is part of Zane, not Zane, um, Ruin. This is part of Ruin's plan to take down the Lord Ruler, right, to raise up Kelsher as a has an excellent Mistborn and so that Kelsier can yada, yada. You know how it all goes. But well, yeah. so the it's first ruined. step is you got to kill Lord Roller. That's step yeah. one. Yeah, Ruin definitely has a hand in this uh, training up of Kelsier. So just as a reminder,
3: I think by the time Mistborn, Final Empire comes around, Kelsier's probably an expert on push and pull. Like those are his two top medals, I would say, which Vin sort of inherits and she becomes the expert in push and pull. Of all of the different
2: metals, I do kind of like how Kelsier wanted to have a glass knife in this fight. <laughs> so he he maybe wanted to go down the melee skill tree, but Gemmel wouldn't let him. <laughs> no, paperweights only. That's about it. So what'd you think? I liked it. I liked especially the parts where Kelsier talks about his days before even going to the pits. Uh, I like that he tries to redraw Maris flower, but he can't. And I I thought it was kind of interesting that Kelsier is talk, talking about like, oh, I'm a natural at taking control. It's just kind of like how later on he's going to take control of the revolution away from Yeoman slash Marsh. Did, what Marsh was, was Marsh Yeeden. the leader of the rebellion or Marsh was just the leader? Yeadon, yeah. The guy Craig forgot. But Marsh <laughs> was a leader. Marsh was the leader of something. Wasn't he the leader of their... Band of he did an uprising. Before yeah. uh, Marsh was the leader of the resistance
1: before he passed it on to Eden.
2: Yeah. Right. Okay. And Kelsier, I think, just didn't really care about the resistance before the pits. He just was wanted to make a profit. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and I also like kind of the nods of you know Kelsier always smiled, but it wasn't always like that. He he had to train himself to smile through adversity, even after apparently being betrayed by his wife and watching her tortured and killed. So, you know, a lot of consistency, which I appreciate. So I don't know that there's all that much to discuss with
1: this, because any, any part of it that mattered, mattered for the original Mistborn trilogy, and we did that already.
3: Well, no, we can talk. So uh, Dave touched upon it in his bullet notes that Gemmel is being influenced by ruin. You know, he, he talks to himself. He is most definitely spiked, although we don't know what from. Um, but just like Zane, he's he's talking to someone like he he's barely sane, which is someone Ruin likes to connect with anyway. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, is pretty much. Your deep dive terminology. And uh, yeah, that's th- this is a plot by Ruin. We get we get a couple things here. One, it's forging Kelsier to sort of put him on the path to being able to take on Lord Roller and and ideally kill him. And secondly, it gives him. The uh, the eleventh the information on the eleventh metal, which will ultimately be used by Vin. Well, I guess to figure out that the Lord Ruler is actually man and is using
1: me. Oh, and we do get evidence here that Kelsier did not just make up the eleventh metal stuff. He did mm, get it true. from an external source.
2: Yeah, I was kind of surprised that he just kind of got like plans for the eleventh medal or journal notes and didn't actually get a sample here. But well, it's I just guess, that people were know. doing research on different metals at the time. I mean, he does have a metallurgist friend. So he probably passed the notes on to, right? Because he had a source for getting his metals. Probably that guy. He's got the muns. Oh, and there's an offhand mes- uh,
1: mention of trap they weren't able to use. I don't remember why. Was he dead? Yeah, yeah. I think
0: he was dead.
1: Okay. Clubs is the replacement. Yeah. Clubs was the last minute
2: replacement, but Kelsier would have preferred to use Trap. I do remember they mentioned that guy. They're like, "Oh, this is Kelsier Smoker," and I was like, "Oh, I guess Clubs replaced him." But I don't don't didn't remember Trap from the original reading, anyway. So um, this is three months after the pits, and I've
3: three months. I said three months, right? how did, does anyone remember the the time span between the pits and final empire when we see Kelsier? is it like a couple of years or
0: something i thought it was a couple of years but i don't, I don't actually recall that off the top of my head
3: so we know how fast vin sort of picks up being a mistborn so you imagine with the same sort of process that Kelsier's going through he's he's going to become the expert within like a year and he's going to like I think he immediately starts on his, his plan to kill off their Lord Ruler, like right away. Like why waste time? He's all right. But it is neat seeing an earlier Kelsier forcing himself to try to smile. Um the
2: picture of him in the Arcanum Unbounded, you know, next to the first page of the story. It's creepy. And we get the start of the the survivor,
3: um, the, the scars on his arms, like when people see that. Like that's, that's when the gossip
0: starts. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder where Kelsier found Gimel.
1: Gimel found Kelsier. Yeah, I'm leaning more toward Gemmel found Kelsier, by which I mean Ruin found Kelsier and sent Gimel to him. Well, you're just going
2: to have to play the RPG and find out.
0: But I just said, I don't read the RPG material. I just want to hit things with my stick.
2: And I haven't tried to put together
1: a game of this, so I have also haven't read the book. I assume you get to be a full Missborn in it, at least in the original. But I don't know. Uh, so, Craig, you always okay. have so one more we were... thing.
3: Give us one more thing. Um, I have stuff for spoilers. Uh, I got nothing else for, for this short story.
0: Well, I was going to say, since none of us have played the game, the RPG game, if we were to invent the RPG game, how would we do it? Like, what would the stats be? Like, what would it look like?
3: Well, you'd have the different classes of Mistborn, or not Mistborn, Mistings. Those could see, be your classes. I, I wouldn't say m- maybe Mistborns themselves shouldn't be chosen, but you know someone's going to want to be a Mistborn.
1: I would jump straight to Era 2 because that Oh my
3: gosh. that seems it, a little more balanced. Yeah, that, that would be decisions? fun. Though, you'd have all the combinations of Furcamus with uh, uh, Helomancy, and that would be a lot of fun to create. Yeah, the, the individual Mistings would be basically different classes. And,
1: you know, you could be a twin-born and have a sort of secondary power. Whether that secondary power is your Allomancy or your Faroukmi, I guess, depends on which which metal mix you get. Probably wouldn't allow for t- uh, compounding,
2: because that's just OP. Depends on what you're compounding. I think you'd get, like, a, an ECL if you'd compound.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, do we want some kind of restriction for for twin born since... That should be more rare. That should not be a common thing. But everyone's going to want to be a twin because it's just more versatile.
2: I mean, just offset it by, you know, like a level 1 twin-born would be treated like a level 3 character or something. If you want a multi-class, you can, you can pick up a... a
1: uh, I've lost the... What's the third power? Allomancy Hemallergy. Frucany. Hemallergy. There you go. Thank Hemallergy, you, Tori. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you want a multi-class, you can pick up a Hemallergic Spike. But, but if
2: you do that, then you just get Harmony nagging you all day. Yeah, you, you get
1: evil points built up that if you get too many, you just, you don't have your character anymore.
3: You've gone full Inquisitor. You never go full Inquisitor. So yeah, I don't think I have anything else for Dave. Nope. But, but hey, we got we got another look at here. It's been a long time. He was in one book. They talk about him so much, though. So shall we d dave ourselves and move on to the fun stuff? So just as a reminder, Dave, we're starting the Emperor's
2: Soul next week. Is it just about a... um, Yablub? Cell. We're going Yab-lub. Yablub, yes. Oh, okay. The Atlantis world. Well, no, the Emperor of Cell was Yabla. Oh, Mr. Yadith? Yadith, yeah. Yadith. Uh Mr. No, different, different guy. Different Emperor. Yep. The Emperor's new soul.
0: Yeah, basically.
2: Is he going to be naked?
0: Reifu? Hmm.
2: <laughs> Probably underneath all the clothes. So in Emperor's New Groove, like, it was David Spade Llama, Does he, he wore a robe, didn't he?
0: Yeah, he did.
2: So it's a different story. I thought that was based on the Emperor's New Clothes, or maybe just the title was.
0: Just the title.
2: Oh, really? <laughs> I know nothing.
0: Seems oh. that way.
1: I mean, Emperor's New Groove is basically a Looney Tunes cartoon that Disney made for some reason.
2: Like Roger Rabbit.
0: Emperor's New Groove is one of my favorite movies. I watch it a lot.
1: It's it's really good, but we should move on to spoiler time. Bye, everybody.
0: Bye, Dave.
1: Bye, Dave. Bye, Dave. Dave's gone. Play the thing.
2: This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. All right.
1: So, do we have anything stop. spoilery for this? Yep, I, you do. Yes. How? I always, I always do. How do you All have right, anything so. spoilery for something set before <laughs> the the first <laughs> I, Mistborn trilogy that can be read before the
3: first Mistborn trilogy <laughs> because there's nothing spoilery in it? Well, I would like to talk about the overview of the scattering system, which is right before the eleventh metal uh, in the book it, written by Chris. Just just a couple tidbits. It's not going to take long. Um, but one of the things that we should take note is that Skadriel is only one of two worlds that humans were created on after the Shattering. I don't think I know what the second world is. Do you guys happen to remember? No. No, I have no idea. Okay. Um, I wonder if it's Nalthus, because I don't know when the humans were there. We know the humans from Roshar are pre-Shattering. We know that. Right. And of course, Yolin is where they're from um what else there was one mother there's another thing here uh of course schedule was made in in mirror image of yolan so there's like a cosmere standard in terms of the planet size and the way that time works like it takes 24 i assume it's it's very similar to earth and that's 24 hours a day sort of thing so schedule was made in in reaction to that um Unfortunately, Chris doesn't know the personalities of the original holders of Preservation of Ruin, so she can only speculate what has become, but I imagine they were at least close friends. The, the fact that they were willing to work together to make a world, I think, speaks of that. It's just that over time, you know, Ruin's intention asserts itself.
0: No, I thought we all agreed that Preservation was the jerk in that relationship.
3: <laughs> I mean, he technically did go back on his word um what else oh uh, and the magic system on schedule is apparently very powerful like the amount of investiture that is in each person is much stronger compared to other worlds um which is interesting to me because you have on Nalthis you have endowment where it's so easy to get like everyone has a breath so the base investiture for every single person on the planet is slightly higher compared to humans elsewhere um, each person is slightly invested, but the amount of breaths you need to actually become a uh, what's it called summoner? Not summoner. Return. No, the the Awakeners on on Nalthus. You said it, Awakeners. Yeah, them. Uh, the amount of breaths you actually need is like hundreds. You're like you need you need hundreds to actually be effective in that respect. So I guess that's why it's. For the average person on Nalthus, the power level is low, compared to Mist, Mistborn and Mistings, where the power level is much higher. Like, the amount they can output, I should say, is much higher. Uh,
1: so the the intro to the Scadrial system also brings up a few things. Uh, one is it confirms that AT and Laris were human, uh, yep. and also implies the existence of non-human shardholders. Uh, And it mentions that Yolan had Fane and non-Fane parts of the planet without actually telling us anything about what that means. Well,
3: thankfully, Coppermine wiki has our back. Fane is some kind of weird, like, I don't want to say it's a disease, but it like drains the life out of something like it becomes white and it bleeds some kind of red liquid when you like if a tree happens to be Fane and you break it, it. Drips right, it's really weird.
2: That it
0: doesn't sound good, terrible.
3: It doesn't sound good now. One big thing I also took from this, and I can't believe I haven't mentioned it before, but hemallergy works through connection. So, once again, I'm going to emphasize how important connection is in, in the cosmere. But hemallergy is creating a connection, I imagine it's creating a connection to the receiving person to the spiritual realm or the spirit web. Which will grant them access to some new power, some new alamantic or furukami power. It might, it might not necessarily be restricted to furukami and alamancy. If it's just a connection into the spiritual realm, you could potentially probably make surge binders through hemalurgy. Oh, I thought it stole part of this, part of the uh, the stabby's soul, and forced a connection through that. So what I'm picturing is that. There's this nebulous spiritual realm, and, and a person. Let's 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 focus on schedule. A person will have a connection to the spiritual realm. Let's assume they are misting. Um, they will have this connection somewhere to the spiritual realm that says they can access this particular metal. Um, they have this line, this connection to that metal when they are receive when they receive a hemorrhagic spike. That creates another line to a different location somewhere in the spiritual realm with a different access, let's say, to a different metal. So that's how I'm picturing it. It's just drawing another line, a connection to somewhere else in the spiritual realm. See, and
1: I assumed that it was that the original person's soul just maintains that connection, and then you get to piggyback on it. So if you th- once, you once think you they're the absorbing
3: spike. their soul, which, which we've seen, hmm... I'm Not, about it. not actually absorbing,
1: because we, we see that with, with, um, with breath, right? Yeah. And once, once you take in someone else's breath, it's all just your breath. Like, it's no longer individual. Whereas right. with, a, with a spike, like, spikes maintain their identity. Breaths
3: don't. Well, bre- breath becomes, it matches your identity. And when you breathe into an object rather than a person, it maintains your identity. It doesn't change identity. The words of my breath to yours is probably what's changing the identity to the other person. So with a hemorrhagic spike, though, I think it becomes your power. What we need is, is we need Marsh to play around with the the um, the things that the Southern Scadrians are, are using to see what kind of identity he gives off if he happened to use for because I suspect it's tied to him. So it becomes his powers. All right. Are we ready to start talking about the preview chapter now? And you guys doubted I had anything.
0: Please. <laughs> I'm surprised at how much you had there.
1: Well, I wasn't expecting us to go into the the Scadrial
3: breakdown because we didn't we weren't supposed to do it yet. That's all right. This is what spoilers are for. Um, I have a request. Can we wait like 5 minutes so I can finish reading this chapter? Sure. I'm going to talk about um
1: Fabrial theories then in that time.
3: Okay, you okay. have
1: the stage. Alright, so in our uh, epigraph for this week's chapter, we learn even a little bit more about the interaction specific metals and fabrials. Uh, So we learned that a pewter cage will cause the spren of your fabrial to express its primary attribute. Uh, In the case of a flame spren, it will produce heat. That's the specific example given. Um, So I extrapolated from that and tried to work out blah, 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 potentially a way to make a, where are you? I've heard about this. A flamethrower uh, Fabriel.
0: I like where your head's at. Um, so the thing that stood out to me is it specifically says it will express its attribute in force, which again, goes back to alamancy. We've seen other Relations to Allomancy in the in the construction, but you know pewter is the thing that makes you stronger, and so the pewter cage on your fabrial is going to make the sprint um, the sprint's attributes stronger. Is what I took away from that.
1: Yep. Uh, so my idea was to rig a pewter cage on a windsprint and put that on your on your flamethrower stick closer to you. Uh, Then put a steel cage on a flamespren, because I sort of extrapolated that steel would also produce heat, ideally in the form of fire uh, on a flamespren, and project it outward. Um, So that combined with a pewter cage on a windspren would produce wind. Uh, Then rig all of this up to a handle that contains infused gems with an aluminum sheet Uh, hook to a trigger in between to, if you don't want it activated, you have the aluminum sheet down to sort of block the stormlight from going into the fabrials. You pull a trigger that moves the sheet out of the way and you get stormlight into your fabrials and wind plus fire equals flamethrower.
0: Yes. Okay. I like all of that. I'm really looking forward to, with all of the information we're getting on fabrial construction, um, particularly the, uh, the information about the fourth bridge and how it works um, really looking forward to other people's um, fan theories or head cannons or what have you about uh, other Fabriel designs.
3: Hey, how's it going?
0: Did you finish?
3: I did. Do you want to tell us about what you just read? Sure. Do you have bullet points or no? I sure don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So real quick, I want to read the beginning here, The the Navani notes. A pewter cage will cause the sprint of your Fabriel to express this attribute in force. A flame sprint, for example, will create heat. I think you were talking about a flamethrower. Yeah. We, we call these augmenters. They use stormlight more quickly than others than other fabrials.
1: Oh, I also, um, through talking to people in a different server, uh, reached the conclusion that a tin cage on a flame sprint would produce light. Tin like make light? Yes, it would, uh, it would produce a
3: secondary attribute, likely. So instead of heat, you get light. Hmm. Okay. All right. So uh, this is the aftermath of <sighs> guys. Screw Moash so hard.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yes.
3: Like still, this this is this is sort of the the reflection of that whole conversation Kaladin and Moash. Well, I should say Moash had towards Kaladin. He's still um, in fourth place on my list, man. Of, of people who need to be screwed. Yep. Of of He's the not... of the F
1: Moash uh subreddit that is that is fourth down on the list of people who deserve a, their own F this person subreddit. Can can I ask who the other three are? Uh Ishar, assuming that that one theory is correct. <laughs> yeah. Gavilar.
0: Yes, I agree. Uh
1: and then Yasta. Wait, why? She still has not atoned for being responsible for killing everyone who died on the Winds Pleasure. And being responsible for them dying if Shalon hadn't helped the ones the ones who didn't die,
3: including Shalon,
1: she, she tried didn't to kill
3: Shalon. People on the Wind's Pleasure, though, she was just
0: attacked. No, and we had a whole have... conversation about this the week you weren't here.
3: Oh, clearly, so so you're saying she could have done something about it, and the fact that she didn't, she can she condemned she, them. She not. could have done many, 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 many things
1: to prevent or stop in progress. And what she did was run away.
3: I don't think we have enough information. If she was attacked by the Ghostbloods, specifically some one of the notable members we've actually met so far, if she was attacked by one of them, that's not to say she'd be able to quickly get out of it and and do something about it. She's powerful, but they also have some power to their, their on their own. Which we saw no evidence of on the Wind's Pleasure.
1: What we saw were regular people murdering all the sailors, dragging them up to the
3: deck, and killing them. Right. But we had Sh- Shallan's perspective. We don't know what Yasna experienced or saw. And until we do, and until it shows
1: us something new, Yasna is directly responsible for all of this, and could have stopped or prevented it, and didn't. She ran away.
3: Well, I still think Moash is
1: certainly worse than her.
3: Disagree. But we'll we'll continue to disagree on that, and I guess. Mo- Moash is making a really strong case for himself, in the past and these two chapters uh let alone what he's done by killing ezrian and moash had
1: very good reason to kill both um and rosh there we go uh and he has basically listened to what odium has been preaching without having another side to listen to i don't know that i can blame moash for most of this (laughs) so you're you're in slash r slash Moash can be redeemed. Well, what what he's what has he done that's so bad that can't either be put at the feet of Elicar,
3: Roshon, or Odium? He's trying to make Calidan kill himself. Odium. Moash preaching Odium's lines. Maybe, but he knows what it's going to do to Cal.
1: It'll help him. It'll help him not feel so much pain and guilt like it did him. Would it, or would it make him take? From Moash's perspective, yes.
0: Speaking of Kaladin's depression, so that's what's going on in this <laughs> scene in the chapter that we're supposed to be talking about.
3: I mean, this is pretty chapter much what this section is. Of
0: Rhythm of War. So Kaladin is back on Fourth Bridge and he's yep. moping. Uh, he is, the he is ship moping. is taking off with the townspeople on it and. Um, Kaladin is just kind of being depressed and Syl, who is adorable and must be protected at all costs is like, Oh, I I don't know how to help you. And I want to, and, and please tell me how to, how to help you. And, and he can't, um, I
1: I don't know that we ever need to expressly say that Kaladin is moping. I think it can simply be assumed at all times.
0: Gotcha. Well, so, um, Then Teft comes over, and Teft is like, uh, you're being a jerk because one of your soldiers uh, swore her third ideal during that fight, and you need to go congratulate her because you're the commanding officer, and you need to get your act together and do that. So eventually he does, um, but he grumbles about it.
3: So uh, so I want to say a few things about this. This is very much, very similar to what Kaladin did for Tef back in at Oathbringer. Like, sometimes you just, you need to be there for your friend, and, and this is a way to sort of get through that. Like, I think I think Tef can get through more than, like, like still it's just like, I don't know what to do. But Tef's like, this is what what you can do.
1: Tef knows what an officer is supposed to be doing because he's an experienced sergeant, and it's his job to tell that officer to do that thing.
3: Yep. Teft is Zim from uh, from Starship Troopers. Um, there was one other thing, and now I don't remember. Oh, moping. Um, I feel like Kaladin is getting worse, though. Like he, he was, he was very bad at the beginning of Way of Kings because things were very bad at this time. But he got through it, and he was able to help Bridge Four, and 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 things seem to be improving. But but now we're yeah, on. A-
0: we're he's slowly. definitely getting worse. Like, every character so far has noticed that he's getting worse.
3: Yeah. This every is character, including
0: book. himself.
3: This is, is going to be a difficult read. So, Laren is the one who has sworn her third ideal, so we have another budding win-win runner. Uh, who all has sworn to the third ideal that we know of? Lopin,
1: probably. Uh, definitely Teft, we got to see definitely that. Definitely Teft. Uh, we can assume the Lopen because he was making excellent progress. I think I feel I feel like we can assume the Lopen and we'll likely see that in uh, in the the novella.
0: Um, third ideal is sharp blades, right? So right, it so would be... whoever
3: has a Sharkblade. Yeah. blade, yeah. Okay, so a bunch of them then. Yeah, I think there's what three hundred honor who are willing to work with them. Or did I just pull that number out of thin air? I know we've gotten. A number? I don't remember
1: the yeah, number. Yeah,
0: it was in one of these earlier preview chapters. They gave a specific number of uh wind windrunners and
3: squares. Alright. So you can do you want to keep going, Tori?
0: Um well that's that's pretty much it for the Kaladin scene. Um he uh he goes over to congratulate Laren and um then after that is when uh Dalinar and Navani um draft some Windrunners into giving them a ride uh, back to Irithiru uh, because they need to be there pretty quickly and the fourth bridge is going to take a, a longer trip.
1: And Navani flies first class, Dalinar flies business Coke. plus.
3: So is is this where your, your thing about how Ender would disagree with how Windrunners do their thing?
0: I haven't heard this.
3: I thought there was something in spoilers when you were reading, or the new and upcoming section. The whole Ender's Game is you. The enemy gate the is down.
0: Gate is down. Yes.
3: Yeah. And Winrars are like, why would I want to fly feet first?
1: Oh so
0: yeah.
3: They 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 are the enemy gate is up. Except that they're
1: explicitly changing which direction down is. That's how they fly.
3: That's true.
1: Yes, that is correct. Ender exactly would, Ender doing. would fix them in about five minutes.
3: I feel like when Dave reads this part, he's going to highly enjoy it. Because I know he's he's read Ender's Game and, and a few of the other books in the series. I think he would enjoy this. That's my prediction. We'll see in like three years, guys.
0: So moving on to the next scene, um, we pretty much go from Kaladin's like, okay, I'm going to fly these light eyes back to uh, Irithiru. Uh, from there, we go to Navani's point of view. Uh, while she is flying as as Mike said first class um she's got this little um it's basically a palanquin um that the wind runners are carrying it's a little enclosed room um where she can sit out of the wind and study while the while the flying happens outside um and she is studying um spren and fabrials and um
3: well Specifically the fabriel that was used on Kaladin to suck his stormlight out. Well, to suppress his use of stormlight.
0: Yes, the specifically that one. Um, but there is a lot of talk about other fabrials and um what makes them different and you know, when you expect something to work a certain way and then it doesn't work a certain way, and Yasna loves that stuff, but
3: um so we got some key things here. Um one that Apparently the shape of this what'd you call it, Voivril? I I feel like it needs a separate name from um Fabriel. from Fabriel. So
1: and it runs on void light, so Voidleal.
3: So apparently the structure and some of the gems that are using it is very similar to the heart of a which is sort of like does this do the same thing? Um in which case I feel like they would need a captured void spren to do it. But if they use a different type of spren maybe like navani theorizes it could be used to either a bolster power of the Knights radiant in a or it could just remove the fuse from being able to use their powers near a one or the other or both or both why not both? or both plus a dozen other things that bring it up
1: to the level of i can make a perpendicularity whenever wherever
3: and just hold it open for a while so, so we get that bit of information, and once again, I again, I feel like we're getting confirmation that Navani's heading towards that path of being able to figure out what she needs to do to get Aethra up and running. But we also talk about, as Tori mentioned, uh, looking at other fabrials, specifically soulcasters, and how weird they are, and how different they are. Yeah. Um,
0: and Nivani specifically says that she feels like these are similar to shard blades in that they're probably some kind of dead sprin that's trapped in that form. And I said that once before in the past, so go me.
3: Well, I think specifically Soulcasters do have a captured like uh, not captured, they have a, a dead eyes sprint in in shape. Did I misread that and she was talking about shard blades? I thought it was mentioned that Soulcasters also had that dead eye spren
0: Yes, uh, that's that's what I just said.
3: Navani said that
1: not necessarily that it had a dead eye spren, uh but that that its captured spren wasn't in the physical realm;
3: it was just in Shadesmar, I believe. Anyway, yeah, I'm trying to find out the the line in here because it, it was that to me. I'm like, oh, that's that's good info. And apparently, they found a cache of Soulcasters in Amia. So this is once again. We need that short story that we're going to be getting because there's something else. There's all these references to Amia. They got a bunch of Soulcasters there. They got Rock's daughter gets the shard plate from there. Um, there's a bunch of name drops of people who went okay. along on that I trip. Found
0: it. Found it. Yeah. Let me figure out so I don't read the entire paragraph. Uh, it says, Soulcasters manifested a small, unresponsive spren hovering with their eyes closed. Eyes so closed. So the Soulcasters did have a captured spren, a radiant spren, judging by their shape.
3: Hmm. Interesting. So yeah, I need that short story, guys. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Dawn Shard, book, novella, whatever. And now we get to the creepy part.
0: Well, first off... Um,
3: we don't get there.
0: It, not quite. I just really love this line. Um... She's talking about, you know, she she peeks outside um, and, and sees Dalinar flying out there like he, he won't fly in the in the little first class because you know, Navani theorizes that he thinks it's too feminine, like and, and men are silly, uh, she thinks. But so he's out there with a mask and goggles on and wearing layers of clothes so he stays warm. The Windrunners don't have to do that because they have their stormlight helps them somehow. He has Stormlight, too, so I don't know why that is the case. But anyway, she describes him as... "do."
3: That's what Dalinar do.
0: Yeah. Dalinar looked like a choll that had found itself among a flock of sky eels and was doing its best to <laughs> pretend to fit in. And then <laughs> yep. the very next paragraph is, She loved that choll. <sighs> it just my heart. It's so cute. They're so cute. It's so cute. But then... But then the creepy happens. Okay,
3: tell us about the creepy.
0: The creepy is, uh, so when she, you know, stops looking outside and she's back in her little first classroom, she sees a blinky light and she explores and she finds a span read. And so she starts talking. Well, well, she finds the, uh, the ruby that goes with a span read. And when she puts it on a span read, like like someone had affixed it under the table with uh, some wax, and so she puts it on a span read, and uh, somebody starts talking to her, and she doesn't know who it is. Um, but they tell her, "You must stop what you are doing immediately."
3: Oh, uh, so this, this whole section gave me gave me chills. Um. Uh, so before we get into that, Tori, what must she stop immediately?
0: We don't know. Oh my goodness! Um, she, yeah, we do. She re- we're, we're told she replies, and she's like, "Who are you? And what are you talking about? I don't know what I don't know what's going on." And this person says, "You are the monster, Navani Colin. You have caused more pain than any living person."
3: Wow, those are some and, words.
0: Yes, uh, but then they go on to tell her uh, that she must stop capturing the Spren, or there will be consequences.
3: Yep. So. So,
1: what secret society sent her this mysterious phone call from inside the house?
3: So, I got you, man. Um, Given by the, the words that are spoken here, clearly, I feel like it's clear to me that the perspective of the person writing this is a sprint. Because you're calling Navani a monster, you're saying she has caused more pain than any living person. The only thing we know that Navani does is study fabrials, and we know now that that means capturing Sprint and making them do things. Now they're not, as far as they knew, they were non-sentient Sprint, but Navani even mentions that that she's spoken with Intelligent Sprint um, and agreed that the Sprint are not people, they're just unthinking, they're like animals. But then the pen writes back the Honor Sprint cannot be trusted. Honor Sprint cannot be trusted. Not anymore. What? All right, so so, what's your what's your guess? So yeah, so given that this sounds like to me, this would come from the perspective of a sprint. The only one, and not from a typical sentient sprint like those that are bonded with radiance. I believe this is the sibling speaking to her.
1: All right, how did the sibling get a uh, half of
3: a ruby onto her first class flying seed? I don't know yet, but but. Given that we don't even know the location of the sibling, who's to say it wasn't done through Shadesmar? So let me back up a little bit
1: and ask again: What secret society is responsible for this? Because there had to be people that did part of this.
0: I think it's got to be related to the Aemians.
3: Hmm.
1: Hmm. Like I specifically,
0: it. specifically, like the what are they? The Dicean Aemians? The yeah, yeah, the Krim people.
3: The Krim people. The Krim people,
0: because the Krim people could easily have snuck that little ruby in there, and the Krim people also killed that one uh, Soulcaster. In well, mm. they were gonna kill the Soulcaster. I think she turned herself to smoke before they could. Um, yeah, you know what I mean. And they were like, "Nope, nope, you can't be here and see the stuff." And now Navani's got this cache of Soulcasters that they found in Aemia, and the Soulcasters are. Radiant, Sprint, Tangent, and yeah, I don't know, you guys. It it all falls apart there. So no, I like
3: it.
1: So your theory is that the Sleepless are working for the sibling. Yes. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Uh, I could go along with that. I don't have a theory on this. Uh, I couldn't get enough info to put anything together. So, yeah, I can I can go along with that until we get more or until it gets
3: confirmed. Well, so we, we know that the Aemians, uh the Dicing Emians, were were protecting something over at Emia. What what if the, it's the sibling they were protecting the whole time? We, we assumed it was some sort of Dawn Shard, and of course that's the name of the book. But what if it is also, or instead of a Dawn Shard, the sibling?
0: Oh yeah, and if the sibling has since moved elsewhere, then they would no longer need to protect the place and. Mm that could explain why we were suddenly able to explore it in the novella we haven't got yet
3: yeah so there's more to the chapter do we want to go just so so real quick i'm i'm concerned that we're told that the honor spring can't be trusted that that is concerning to me
1: but can we trust whoever said that the honor spring can't be trusted
0: we gotta trust somebody and are we talking about all of the Honor Sprin or just the ones mm-hmm. who are bonding Radiance, or right. just the ones who are not bonding Radiance? Like, whoever is speaking here, be it the sibling or otherwise, like, is their only experience with the Honor Sprin, with those Honor Sprint who have not bonded Radiance? Maybe the ones that are over in Shadesmar are, like, crazy, and sure can't be trusted,
3: I, I suspect the voice knows that they're talking because Navani specifically writes such as those bonded to the Radiant. So we know Navani is specifying the honor spren that are working with Kaladin's. Well, not just Kaladin, but um, with with Team Radiant. So I suspect the voice on the other side would know that. And is is that why they can't be trusted? Because they're working for Team Radiant, and and the fact that they're willing to do that says something. So to go back to something I posted in our Cosmere theories, um, I believe what happened with the sibling is directly related to how the um the the singers were originally dealt with. How their connection and identity was originally ripped by one of the bondsmith at the time. That was ripped away, creating the parchment. That must have done something or have been related to the sibling leaving Erethro. So Given that, like, I feel like there's not a lot of trust for Radiance there. If if this is the sibling or someone related to the sibling,
0: what if it was the sibling's bondsmith?
3: Like, still alive, or or the sibling no, has like, bonded someone?
0: No, no, no. Like, um,
3: oh, the one who did the the the,
0: the one who who did who did wrong by the mm-hmm. parchment. We know we we theorize was a bondsmith. What if it was the sibling's bondsmith? And when the sibling saw what that person had done. The sibling mm-hmm. was like, "I'm out."
3: Yeah, maybe because we're we're never explicitly told which Bondsmith it was. Okay, I think we can continue now, Mike or Tori, whoever wants to summarize the next part. Uh, Tori was doing such a good job; I
1: was gonna have her keep going.
0: Um, so now we're back with Shalon. Um, so remember last time we saw Shalon, um, she had just. Uh, been present while ELA Sadius was murdered Um, so now Shalon and Adolin are uh, on their way back to Irithiru and um, Shalon is sitting with Adolin and um, Adolin is all like, which one am I talking to right now? Oh, it's me. It's Shalon and (laughs) I think it's cute. Adolin
3: can sort of tell
0: Uh, Yes, it's cute that he can tell um, because there is a bit later when, um, so they're talking about ELA's death, and Shalon tells Adolin that it was probably somebody in their group and that they can't trust anybody. Um,
3: you know what? This is like Find That conjure all over again, guys.
0: It is! Um But so Shallan is, um, she's thinking about things that are making her uncomfortable. And when that happens, uh, there's this new identity that starts trying to surface. And she doesn't want that to happen. It's this thing that she calls formless, which uh, sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. Um,
3: Vale's scared of formless. If Vale is scared, that is serious business.
0: And um, anyway, so when Shalon starts getting nervous, um, she steps back and lets Vale take over. And this was the part where it's like Adolin can tell that it's no longer Shallan um, because it says um, Vail reluctantly emerged. She sat up, not pulling against Adolin any longer, and he seemed to understand it, shifting his position in the seat. So, like, he can tell. And that's... I love him. <laughs> yeah. Um." So they're talking about Ela's death and how it was probably uh, somebody in their group, and nobody can be trusted. And um, and so this is when she tells Adeline about the ghost floods. like she's. Totally gonna around. tell him she's gonna tell him that she has infiltrated the ghost bloods and she's one of the ghost bloods uh, but she starts explaining about how the ghost bloods exist and they are a thing they are one of many secret societies um and so, and they're no. the ones who killed Eli. and and he's this what this is kind of funny he's like, are they the secret society that your that your brother belonged to and no no that's that's a different secret society. <laughs>
3: This this That's... whole part is our discussion when we first started Way of Kings. We're like, which secret society is it now? This, this is this is it in a, like this is wrapped up in a nutshell. Our discussions and probably people who read who don't even look at Coppermine or like listen to the podcast or anything. If they're just reading the book, they're like, there's a bajillion secret societies on Roshar. I don't even know which one is which. There's the Stormbloods. There's
1: the Invisibreakers. <laughs> There's the Sons of Ghosts. <laughs>
3: I like that. Oh, nice. Yep. You got it. All 100% correct. There's the
1: so, Sleeping
3: in Seattle's. There's
1: Right. <laughs> the Seattle Krakens. There's
0: So after a bit of discussion, uh, they sort out which secret society the Ghostbloods are. Um, and then the question is, well, whose side are they on? And what's their motivation? What are they after? What is their end goal? And these are things that we don't know. Um, but Shalon um, tells Adolin that uh, ELA thought that the bloods were after her. And so when she searched the room after ELA died, she, um, she found the, the Shen clue um, and the book that was hidden in the floor, and, um, and what with one thing and another, she never gets around to mentioning that she was one of the Ghostbloods.
3: Whoops. Maybe next time. Uh, she does mention some interesting things that she found in the book, though. Yeah, she does. We, we get direct, so apparently scra or spies, were listening to things that Ghostbloods have said, and they have mentioned some- locations that we are well aware of Nalethus or Nalthus, Skadriel, and Taldine, which would be that's that's the uh White, White, Sands. White Sands World, right? Yeah. So this means that the
1: Ghostbloods, at least some of them, are Cosmere aware, which yep. we already knew because um yeah, because Mraze Yeah. There there was the whole basement full of Cosmere keepsakes. Yeah. Uh, but it also means that Ela was not Cosmere aware because she doesn't know what any of this means. Right, uh, and then it also means that Shallan and Adolin also aren't Cosmere aware, which we also
3: knew because we've been in their heads for three books. So we know that Gavilar was Cosmere aware based on the the preview um, in or the prelude in Rhythm of War, but the Sons of Honor in general are not Cosmere aware. Amaram might have been, but if he was he didn't pass it on right Elay was not yeah so we so we get these locations that the ghostbloods are interested in these other cosmere worlds just as a reminder now this is the Warbreaker world schedule of course is mistborn taldane is white sands and no mention of cell because it's super duper hard to get there so they also mentioned the leader of the ghostbloods is theta Car. and now that i think about it like Hearing like seeing how they write Nalethus instead of Nalthus, and before we had Demo was Timo, can is there a word that's like Thetakar that we might know of? Like if we if we switch some of the letters around a little bit?
0: That is a great question.
3: I suck at pronunciation so this is not my job. But hey, maybe I'll just luck into saying it incorrectly in the correct way. That's Nothing true that I've got off the
1: top of my head, but I will think about this for the coming week and That-a-car. see if I come up with something.
3: Data car. Data car. Okay. I'll just keep saying weird variations of that name and maybe someone will be like, "Hey, that sounds like so and so." i am be like, "Yes, there it is."
0: Wasn't there something sellish that ended in car?
3: Something from Silverlight? Maybe? Someone from Silverlight? Maybe we'll keep an eye out when we read uh,
0: yeah. Secret History.
3: Because that, that's another place I really wanted to know more about is Silverlight. Like, the only thing we get on them is is Secret History. Like, that's the only time we actually see the people at Silverlight. But apparently Chris is working with them. Because that's, that's what was noted in the, uh, the notes for the Skadrian system. Well, the people we see in
1: Secret History are the Irie. Are the Irie and Silverlight the same right, thing? At
3: Silverlight. See, I can't even keep this straight.
1: They might be the same thing. Like the their their cell powered castle, you know, that might be Silverlight, I don't know. 'Cause we we get all that from Kelsier's perspective and he doesn't care what they're doing there, like day to day. He cares about the plan. Right.
0: So the thing I was thinking of was the Dokkor, um, which is the the evil Fjordan monks in um Elantris. Um, so this is this similar. is thigh
1: decor, So he's got a twisted thigh bone, right? <laughs>
3: and it gives him magic powers. We solved it. Good job, Tori. Okay. So my my apologies for mixing up Silverlight and Irie. But That's you might a, not have. They might more be the popcorn. same thing. We don't know. <sighs> I don't know. Uh, according to Coppermind, Silverlight is a city located in the Cognitive Realm, similar to to the Iry. But it has a bunch of world hoppers and romantically aware experts that are there. That's it. That's all we know. Cosmere University. Yes, exactly. And there will eventually be a novella set on Silverlight, so that'll be good. So, all right. I believe there's a little bit more. I don't know if any of it matters. Well, I do have to go back and say, this this whole fact that she has this formless identity is, is scaring me, guys. Like she's trying not to create a fourth identity, but I think the process of her not creating it is creating it. And well, right yeah, now and also, her
0: pattern points out that there's still more things that she needs to face. I'm like, yeah. what else what else do you need to face, honey? You already you, you killed your mom, you killed your dad. Well she you has killed to them both and then you have
3: the, the facts of life. The facts she, of life. She has to face the the reality of what she did, what her actions were, and and what it meant um, what it means for other people to know the truth of her. So so she has accepted the truth of herself, but she needs to tell other people her truth, so that way they can accept the true her. I think that's the next step on her Night Radiant journey. See, I,
1: I got the distinct impression that that's not it, that she needs she has something that she needs to face, like a personal truth that she's been lying to herself about. You think was, there's something was the, else? Was the implication I got. I, I have okay. no idea what it could be, but I think if she's going to keep this formless identity from forming, that's what she needs to do.
0: I think she's totally not going to keep it from forming, and that's going to be a major plot point in the book.
3: Um. So, So yeah. So, uh, th- this formless person identity is, is a little scary.
0: But as far as the summary goes, nope, that's pretty much it. They um they mention the the places, and then uh, Shalon forgets to tell Adeline that she's in the Ghostbloods, and um that's. I I hope
1: you were making big sarcastic air quotes around
3: forgets. Right. Mm -hmm. She she's worried, but I think Adeline would if if Adeline's willing. I feel like Adeline's willing to put up with a lot, so she's worried. Adeline's going to be like no. And Alan's probably like, that's fine. I mean, he thinks he's way worse than he actually is. So mm, he's willing yeah. to put up with a lot. Exactly. All right. But yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this chapter. Man, I'm looking forward to the to reading Rhythm of War. Guys, we only got like two months. A little bit more than two months. And in
1: that time, we're getting another Dresden Files book, which the preview chapters have started on that too. So I've got double preview chapters, baby. <laughs> have fun with that i will and you quit dresden so you don't get to have i actually just read book five
0: good job
3: let me know when you've read another 10 books in the next month (laughs) see that's the problem i'm not convinced i'm gonna keep going it's just not grabbing me it's 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 on the edge it's it's getting to the point where it's like this might be interesting but i don't know well i told you to stop reading the early ones and jump straight into
1: Deadbeat and then go back, but you refuse to do that, so... Don't do that. I don't
3: need... Which book is that?
1: Uh, book 7. Well, we'll see if I if I get there. 6 is okay. It's it's probably the worst of, of this area of the books, uh, but... Deadbeat, so I have to make it through that to get to Book 7. The plot is that there's a cult of porn star sorceress. <laughs> so, I guess... However that phrase works for you, that's the book. Okay. But anyway, that's all I had on Rhythm of War this Same. week. Same. All right. Then I'm going to stop here for the week and say bye, everybody.
0: Good bye. night, Internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive.